Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Romans, Romans 13. Let me read verses 1 through 12, if I might. Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Lord, we thank you so much for the word that you have given to us that we've been able to read this morning, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and now, oh God, to, to focus upon this text that is before us in Romans 13. Oh Lord, you know that we are a people that, that are weak, we are uh, oftentimes easily led astray, we, we struggle. Father, we, we get our priorities mixed up. Uh, Lord, we get our eyes set upon the wrong things. And But we thank you, God, that you bring your word to us faithfully every week and pray that once again you might speak to us, that you might instruct us, that you might call us to, to you, to trust in you and you only. Oh, Father, we thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. In those times when my life is hard and I feel the, the weightiness of, of ministry and other responsibilities in life, uh, I find myself turning to the Puritans and other old authors from church history. Uh, it's in those times that I sort of like to hang out with these guys, you know, these guys that uh, think of God carefully and think of God deeply. Um, men who know God intimately. And it's so evident in the way that they write that they, they know God in that way. 
And it brings great comfort to my soul as I spend time reading the Puritans and, and others, not because the things that I read are comfortable. Actually, it's oftentimes quite the opposite if you've ever read them, but because they challenge me to think of Christ differently, to think of Christ biblically. And recently, um, I've been in one of those times where I've been sort of hanging out with these guys and, and, and spending a lot of time reading these saints. And one of the things that I read recently was a sermon by Samuel Davies. Now, for those of you that don't know, Samuel Davies was an American Presbyterian minister back in the 1700s, uh, back during part of the Great Awakening. And uh, he preached a sermon entitled The New Year's Gift. And he preached it on January 1st, 1760. So it's been a few years ago since he's preached that. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to do something I don't think I've ever tried before. Um, and that is, I would like to share with you the basic content of that sermon by Samuel Davies. Because that sermon, as I read it, sort of cut me to the quick. And as I was reading that, I thought, oh, Lord, I wish I could share this with my congregation, and I don't know how. So I'm going to try. But I'm telling you, I'm sharing the basic content because the sermon is way longer than the sermon I'm going to preach to you this morning, although you're going to think that the sermon I'm preaching to you this morning is rather long because it is a little bit longer. Okay, and plus I added new things as well to it. So as we, uh, as we look at this, I want us to consider, if you might put it this way, an old sermon for a new year uh, as we think about that. Well, we do stand at the threshold of, of a new year. Uh, and it's good for us to pause and to reflect upon our transition from the old year to the new year, from 2023 to 2024, and specifically how we spend our time. Uh, one person said this, they said, Time is like water flowing down the river of life to the ocean of eternity. Let me say that again. What, that time is like water that flows down the river of life to the sea or the ocean of eternity. And what I want us to do this morning is to look at Paul's admonition in Romans 13, verse 11, that says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Now, the context is Paul writing to the church at Rome about the duties that arise because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And as I preach this sermon, you're going to hear a lot about works. And, and if you didn't understand the context, you would think that I was suggesting to you that you somehow work your way to heaven. But that's not the kind of works that I'm talking about. The works that I'm talking about are the ones that we find in Ephesians chapter 2. You remember that great passage in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's our salvation. But then if you look at Ephesians 2, 10, you see that God says, but then I, as, as a result of that salvation, then you live out these works that I have given you to do. And that's the works that I'm talking about as, as I look at this passage. And Paul, as he's talking to these Roman Christians, he is talking about the works of being subject to the magistrate and the, and the need to love 
each other as Christians. Now Paul encourages these Christians to consider these duties because he says the time is short and it's high time to awaken out of one sleep. It's so easy for Christians, even sincere Christians, to be slack in their spiritual duties, to be lazy in their efforts towards the duties of their faith and divine things, or we might say as spiritual things. Not because we don't love Christ, but oftentimes just because, you know, life happens, right? We all understand that. Life happens. And, and, and the Christian life is sort of an odd thing, if you think about it anyway. I mean, it is a call to live our lives uh, with standards and priorities of another world. In a world that is hostile to God. So here we are living in a world in which their priorities and their focus is to be hostile to God and in the world in which we are called to live by those priorities. So the things that we are doing are the things that the world hates. And this is difficult at best and even impossible at times. And not only does does life happen, not only does the world uh, seek to, to press us into their, their mold and to shape us according to what they desire rather than what God calls us to do. But Satan is constantly attacking us. He ruthlessly works to keep the focus of our lives on what Jesus called the cares of the world. Now you understand the cares of the world because it's right where you live. The cares of the world are your children's education. The cares of the world is the broken sinks and the flat tires and the vacation plans and the marital conflict and the grocery shopping and the stress at work and the fatigue and the stomach bugs and the raking leaves and the disappointments and the expectations of others and the exciting opportunities and all kinds of other normal events that we find in our life. Is it not? No wonder sometimes our love for God and our obedience to Him weakens. Why sometimes our zeal for God cools down and we become neglectful. Or maybe we become formal in our devotion to God. And it is this state of dullness towards spiritual things that is represented by that metaphor of sleep. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. When you're asleep, you know, if, if you're like me, you might have dreams that are so vivid that you could just swear that they're actually, it's something that's happened. That is until you are forced to wake up and then you realize it was all just a dream, which is really disappointing when you've got a lot of things to do off your to-do list in your dream and then you wake up and you find you still have to do those things all over again. You know, so that can be a little disappointing. But when we are spiritually asleep, it's like a dream where we think our lives and the priorities that we have set, the things that we do with our lives is pleasing to God, but then we wake up and we realize that's not the true reality. To awaken from spiritual sleep is to, to wake up from our carnal and our fleshly ways and spiritual apathy and our inactivity and engage in the concerns of true religion with vigor and full exertion like men who are awake. Even Christians are, are liable to fall into a degree of spiritual sleep 
concerning holiness in the Christian life. Because the pursuit of holiness requires the utmost effort. And how easy it is to live our lives and to squeeze Jesus in here and there in our lives. You know, where we have our personal worship time and maybe we have our family worship time and we set aside the priority of Sunday morning to be in worship. But the other times is sort of our time and we fit all the other things into that. Maybe rather than making the focus of our lives Christ and being like Him and thinking about all the other circumstances in our life and all the other uh, cares of this world as relating to being like Christ. Don't we sometimes work diligently to guard certain things in our lives, maybe our free time or, or recreation or time with our family? But do we have that same zeal and perseverance to being godly and holy and Christ-like? Now, we may not see this because we live in a world, as I said, that is very contrary to Christ and to Christianity. And so it's so easy for us to look at the world and to compare ourselves and to say, I look pretty good compared to that out there. And, and so we don't see the degree to which we are asleep, the, the degree to which we have given ourselves to the things of this world than to Christ. So to awaken from our spiritual sleep signifies that we rouse ourselves to shake off our spiritual apathy. There's not one moment of time in which a Christian may lawfully and safely be lazy and negligent in this pursuit of Christ. And so we must shake off the spiritual apathy that seeks to overcome us and awaken out of our sleep. Samuel Davies put it this way. He said, this is the hour for action. We have slept too long already. Now let us rouse and rise. And so as we consider this passage, I, I want to really speak to two different groups of people. Okay, One, I want to speak to those who are unprepared for eternity, uh, but who think that they're okay. For, for that unrepentant sinner who really has nothing to do with God and yet think, that they'll be fine when they die. The, the other person I want to speak to is the Christian, and, and consequently habitually prepared for life after death, but who may be neglectful or formal when it comes to their holiness and duties that they owe God and to people. So I want to speak to the unrepentant sinner and the slumbering saint, if I might use those terminologies. The one is sunk deep in the sleep of sin, the other nodding and slumbering as they coast towards eternity. For, for both of these types of people, it's high time for them to awake out of their sleep. And so let's begin by talking about a number of things that both groups have in common that they should consider. And then I want to talk to the, each particular group respectively. So first, the things that they have in common. And I have four things that, that they have in common that they should consider. The first thing to consider is the uncertainty of your time. The uncertainty of your time. You may die next year, next month, next week, tomorrow, the next hour, 
or even in the next moment. I know a preacher who was standing in the pulpit and he was preaching in heaven and he was pressing home that idea of the shortness of time and thinking of eternity and he stretched out his hand to make the point and he dropped dead of a heart attack right there in the pulpit. I am guessing, probably pretty safely, that when that minister was preparing his sermon, he had no idea that that would be his last. As you think of this coming year, there's not one day that you own or are guaranteed. Before the next day comes, your time may run out and have entered into eternity. You know, we as people so often just sort of presume upon time as if we're guaranteed so many years. But how many are in eternity who began 2023 with as little expectation of death and and planning on a long life, but who are now in eternity forever and ever and ever? Think about Hananiah, the false prophet, in the book of Jeremiah, who was prophesying uh, and opposing Jeremiah and saying God was saying this, when in actuality God was not. And so the Lord came to Jeremiah and he said, declare these things about Hananiah. And we read in Jeremiah 28, 16, where Jeremiah says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die. And that year Hananiah died. Because he he didn't expect to die so suddenly, but God declared it. And likewise, God determines the number of our days. How easy it is to fall into the mindset to think that I'll have 80, 90, maybe 100 years here on this earth. But for some people, some unexpected moment in this year or next year will put an end to all their labors and their enjoyments in this personal life. And therefore, if sinners would repent and believe, if they would obtain the favor of God and make preparation for their heavenly state, And if saints would make great improvements in holiness, if they would make their calling and election sure that they may not stumble over doubts and fears into the presence of their judge, if they would do anything for the honor of God in the interest of the Redeemer's kingdom in this world, if they would be of service to their families and their friends and their country and mankind in general, now is the time For them to awake out of sleep and set about their respective work. Now is the time because this is the only time that they are certain of. You see, sinners may be in hell before this year finished. If they delay in the great business of salvation any longer. And saints, if you neglect to improve the present time, you may be cut off from all the opportunities of doing service to God and to fellow man, whether that's of endeavoring to instill the principles of Christian knowledge and practice into the minds of your children and those under your care, unless you seize the present hour. For remember, time is uncertain. Youth and health and strength and business and riches and all these things that the world has to offer cannot ensure us a longer time. No, the thread of life is held by the divine hand of God. And God can snap that thread at any moment without warning 
as he pleases. And that's why we read this warning in Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. We should heed these words and consider the uncertainty of time. But the second thing I want us to see is the shortness of the time as well. Paul tells his readers uh, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You see, Paul reminds his readers of the shortness of time to awaken them out of this sleep. You see, salvation is r rushing quickly towards them. Uh, look at Romans 13:12. Paul says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Right? Nighttime is when we sleep. But now he's saying it's daytime. It's the time to do work. It's a time to be busy. Parents, how many of you have kids that you have to rouse out of bed in the morning? I'm guessing most of them are teenagers, but that it's not limited only to teenagers. I know some young kids that struggle to get up in the morning, but you have to arouse them up and you keep thinking every time you have to do that, I wonder if they're just going to sleep the day away. Can we not be like that as well? Time on this earth is short compared to eternity. Now kids, when I talk about eternity, I'm talking about the time after we die. All that time after we die is eternity. And that goes on forever and ever and ever. It never ends. You know, we know uh, as people get older here on earth that they're going to die. At some point in time, they are going to die. There's going to be uh, something that's, uh, there's going to be a change in their life. But people who are in eternity, there's no change. Wherever they enter eternity, whether it be heaven or whether it be hell, they will be there forever and ever and ever. And there's no chance to change, to become better in hell that you might then go to heaven or that you might lose your place in heaven and be cast into hell. Where you're placed, where you go is where you will be for all eternity. You see, your life is not only uncertain, but it's extremely short. And it's uncertain when your life will end, but it is absolutely certain that it will end very soon. Even if you live a long life here upon this earth, say 90 or 100 years, it's short compared to eternity. And if the statistics, uh, the average life expectancy uh, in Kansas has anything to say with it, you won't even live near that long. Because in 2019, the life expectancy in Kansas for women was 80.6 years. Men, you don't even get to live that long. It's only like 76 years for the average Kansan man. Therefore, it's not likely that you'll spend that kind of time, but even a shorter time upon this earth. Therefore, is it not high time that we awake out of our sleep? That the work of God calls us to do as an ambassador is great and the time is short. None of us have time to spare or to waste. And so time is uncertain and time is short. But also, thirdly, let us consider how much of your time has already been lost and misspent. How our hearts ache as we think how we have wasted our lives in pursuing our own interests rather than that of Christ. Some of us as sincere servants of God may be considering how late 
in your life you've become engaged in Christ's service. Maybe you've became a Christian when you were a teen, or maybe when you were even younger, you were a child, and you can't remember a time when you didn't know the Lord, but it's only been recently that, that it has gripped your heart that you were to serve Him and not yourself. How long you have stood idle in the vineyard when His work was before you. How many guilty days and years have you spent in the drudgery of sin and in neglect of God and your immortal souls? How much of your life has been wasted on the pursuits of this world? Does not the loss add up to many days, if, if not maybe many years, or for some of us, maybe even decades? For some, maybe you have lost all the days and the years of your life for Christ. Maybe you have managed your time well, and when it comes to the things and the purposes of this world, you're incredibly organized and you're incredibly efficient and you get a lot of things done when it comes to the things of this world. But if that's where your focus has been, then you have taken this great gift of time that God has given you and you have used it for lowly purposes. Time is given to us, brothers and sisters, for repentance and preparation for eternity. That's why God's placed us here upon this earth. You know, we could sometimes look at our life and think, well, you know, I, I guess what I'm supposed to do is grow up in, you know, hopefully a good Christian home and, and then, you know, maybe I'll go to college and, or, you know, get married and, or, you know, and have a family or, or, or maybe I'll remain single and, and, and follow certain pursuits that I have in life and, and I just need to, to seek to be successful and productive and, and a good part of society and stuff. And we can think that that is the purpose of our existence. But we are called to repentance and preparation for eternity. Uh, God has, the work that God has given us to do is to walk with Him while here upon earth and be ready to live with God forever in heaven when we die. And to pursue the things of this world, to build up our own names or, or our families or uh, these things are unworthy of the lives that God has given us. They're good things. They're not bad things. But they're not the primary things that God has given. And so for some, is not our hearts more hard and less prepared for eternity than maybe they were years ago? Maybe we've become so focused upon the cares of this world and the priorities that we have set for our own lives that we have drifted away from the purpose of God and the things that He is calling us to do? Have you not maybe been heaping up mountains of sin higher and higher every day, estranging yourselves from God more and more? Or maybe you have gotten caught up in the cares of life and you have fallen in love with the world and what it has to offer. And, and to heighten our loss of precious time should we not consider the irrecoverable time or how irrecoverable time is? Nothing is more difficult to get back than time. It's gone forever. As I, as I used that illustration earlier, that time is like water flowing down the river of life towards the ocean of eternity. If you look at a river, there's always water there. But kids, the water that's in front of you is never the same water that was in front of you just a second ago. Because there's this constant flow 
of water. And it's the same with our lives. We live in sort of the stream of time. And time is constantly passing by. The, this moment in time is gone. And now we're living in this moment. And then this moment. And this moment. And time just keeps moving on. And if we wasted that moment before, it is gone for, for all eternity. And we can mourn and we can have tears over wasted time, but nothing will reclaim those days and years. But we can wake from our sleep. We can have our eyes open to see that God has called us to live for His glory and we can seek to reclaim that time. And so let me ask you this morning, have you any more precious time to throw away? Should the time to come be abused and lost like the time past? Or will you redeem the time that you have? There, there's much to be done and little to do it. You've had 10, 20, 30 or more years, but unfortunately all that time is irrecoverably lost. Let this thought, brothers and sisters, not cause you to weep and to mourn and become inward focused, but let it compel you to wake up from your sleep and redeem the time. The fourth thing I want us to see under, under this whole uh, common thing, and this is sort of an awkward point, but this is uh, Samuel uh, Davies. Consider the great purposes of the present life. Consider the great purposes of the present life can be accomplished only in time. Consider that the great purposes of the present life can be accomplished only in time. Let me say that in a more simple way, okay? There are certain important Christian duties that only can be done while we're on this earth. There's only certain things, there's only certain Christian duties that can be done while we are on this earth. Both worlds, both the world that we live in now and the world to come, both of them are assigned certain duties and responsibilities by God. The business of one world cannot be done in the other. You have time. That's the world in which we live in now. You have eternity, which is the world to come. And both of them have different purposes. Time is the, is, is, is the one of seed time. It is a time of work. Eternity, though, is the harvest. It's where we receive our wages. And if we are to swap the unchangeable order of things and defer the business of this life to after death, we would find ourselves miserably mistaken. Therefore, if saints would make progress in holiness, if they would undergo a course of discipline to prepare and educate us for heaven, a painful process for our refinement to qualify us for pure religion, if we would nourish a noble ambition of godliness and, and not merely happiness with the things of this world, if we be of service to our fellow man, to be instruments of blessing and especially to save souls from death by converting sinners from errors of their way, if we were to do these things, now is the time. It is the only time that we have to do these things. If these things are not done now, they will never be done. And brothers and sisters, what godly heart can bear the thought of leaving the world why these important things are left undone. 
Would you not desire to enter heaven ripe and ready for it? Do you not want to enter heaven and hear your Savior say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Oh, does not your heart burn to do something for your gracious God and Savior who has done and suffered so much for you? Oh, do you not long to be an instrument of, of some service to the world while you're passing through it? If this is your desire, now is the time. Once death has overtaken you, you are forever unable to serve the Lord in such ways. The same way for sinners, for unrepentant sinners, who is now in a state of, of condemnation and sin. If you would convert to righteousness and turn to God, now is the time. There is no work of salvation in hell. Yes, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but sinners do repent in hell. Have you ever thought about that? They repent in hell and they see their sin and, and they're like, oh God, I have sinned against you. And yet their repentance cannot save them. But it is their punishment. It is their punishment for, for all eternity. They mourn and they weep, but their tears are but the fuel to increase the flame of their punishment. They cry and perhaps cry out to God in hell, but the hour of God's acceptance is past. It's past forever. The means of grace are gone. That the sanctifying influences of the Spirit are all withdrawn forever. Sinners, realize this thought and let it rouse you out of your sleep. If you treat your sin as trivial and you ignore it, you will spend eternity in hopeless misery and hell. Another year meets you and invites you to change and to prepare for eternity. If you waste it like the past, you may be undone forever. I implore you today, if this is where you are, to, to heed the warning of Solomon, as he says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in death, to which you are going. Let us consider those things. But now if I might, let me just speak specifically to each one of these groups. First to the slumbering saint. Wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. Heaven may only be a year away, or an hour away, or it may be decades away. My question is, is salvation the thing that you have been longing and laboring for, brothers and sisters? Is the thing that rouses you and causes your heart to burn within you, your salvation, to live in eternal fellowship with God? If so, how can you slumber when your salvation is so near? How can you sleep when, when you're on the threshold of heaven? Paul seems to imply that the near approach of salvation is a great cause for joy for the believer. Paul is reminding these believers that this wretched world will not be their residence always. 
Though death lies between us and heaven, and salvation cannot uh, reach us until we pass through that, that gloomy valley, death is no closer to us than our salvation. Christ is with us to the end, even through death. And when the day of your death comes, before your body is at the funeral home, your glorified soul will be in heaven. Amen? Your death day will be your birthday, which will introduce you into the world of eternal happiness. When others are pronouncing you dead here upon this earth, the angels will shout, An immortal was born! Born to everlasting life. Born to an eternal crown of glory. Born to a priceless inheritance in heaven. Pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay. And must not the prospect of this glorious day so near rouse us out of our sleep? Can you not watch one hour or even one year and be diligent? Or will eternal salvation surprise you while you're asleep? Think back to the time when you came to faith in Christ. And, to, and when you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your heart was filled with joy. And you were like, Lord, thank you for such salvation. And just remember back when the face of a reconciled God first smiled upon you. And when Jesus appeared to your mind in all the attractive glories of a Savior. An all-sufficient Savior in a desperate case. When He delivered your soul from death and your feet from falling and your eyes from tears. When He inspired your desponding hearts with hope and revived you with heavenly cordial of His love. Oh, what then were your thoughts and your promises to God? Did you not say, Oh God, I thank you for this salvation. Oh Lord, may I live my life for you. May I be your servant. Oh God, may everything that I do be done in gratitude to you. And there was such zeal and love for the Lord when we first came to him. But how long before you began to slumber? Before you began to sleep? How far short have you fallen of your vows and your promises? And so slumbering saint, let me encourage you, first of all, to examine yourself. The first thing is to consider, are we living each day in light of eternity? Do we live with eternity in mind? We cannot escape the cares of this world. These things are part of our existence. We can't just erase those and say, I'm just going to stand around and talk about Jesus. But do those cares of the world become the focus of our lives? Or do we be thinking about that I'm living for eternity and then the cares arise and we always understand those cares in the context of eternity? It's a whole different way of looking at our lives. Do we consider whether we will be in heaven when we die or in hell? As you think of 2023, if you had to give an account of your life for this past year, how would you fare? What are you really? Am I a humble, dutiful servant of God? Or am I a disobedient, unrepentant sinner? Am I a disciple of Christ in reality? Or do I only wear his name and make an empty profession of his religion? 
Where am I bound for? For heaven or for hell? Which am I most fit for in my nature? For a place of perfect holiness or the place of sin and impurity? Brothers and sisters, let us resolve this day that we will not live another year utterly uncertain as to where we will be, what will become of us for eternity and death. But also I want to encourage you to begin this new year by dedicating yourself afresh to God and solemnly renewing your covenant with Him. So as, as Psalm 90 verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. May God help us to live our lives in wisdom in 2024. Take some time today and call yourself to account for this past year. Actually call yourself to account for your entire life. And remember your various spiritual weaknesses and mourn over them. And ask God to forgive you for your sin. And resolve in the strength of divine grace that you will guard against them in the time to come. And examine yourself both as to the genuineness of your faith and your competency in it. And finally, cast yourself anew upon Jesus Christ, devoting yourself to this new year entirely to Him, resolving to live more to Him than you have in the past, depending on Him to conduct you safely through whatever this year may bring, whether it be prosperity or adversity, whether it be life or whether it be death. This is the true and only means whereby we can attain eternal happiness, which we ought to all be in pursuit of, that pleasure which will never end. So that's what I have to say to you slumbering saints. But to unrepentant sinner, consider what a dreadful risk you run by neglecting the present time. The longer you indulge yourself in sin, the harder it will it be to break off from it. Do you not then run the risk of cementing an eternal union with the deadly evil of sin in your life? The longer you nourish a sinful nature, the stronger the habits of sin will grow. The more your sin against God and grieve His Spirit, the more you provoke Him to withhold the influences of His grace and righteous judgment to give you up as a hardened rebel. Is not that then high time and is that not cause to, to rouse you to awake out of your sleep? If you do not now awake and turn your attention to the concerns of your soul, then it's very probable that you will continue to put your hope in the things of this world and you will perish forever. While such an outcome not set in stone, it is what will happen if you do not turn to God. And I don't mean to limit a sovereign God in the exercise of His free grace, but from a human perspective, it, it was much more likely that you would be converted in times past than in times to come. So today is the day to consider these things. And since no unrepentant, unholy sinner can enter into the kingdom of heaven, it is much to be feared that you will perish forever in hell. Not because the mercy of God or the merit of Christ is insufficient for you if you apply to Him for it, but because it is all too likely that you will continue on carelessly 
and in your sin against God as you have always done and that you will persist in it until all your time is gone. And then your case will be indeed desperate and hopeless. And I warn you of this now before your time has expired on this earth and you slip into eternity forever and ever in an eternal state of damnation. But this doesn't have to be the way it is. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Acknowledge your sin and how worthy you are to receive God's full wrath and damnation. Cry out to Him for mercy. Plead that the blood of Jesus would cover your sin. Turn from your wicked ways and follow God in obedience through the strength given you by the Holy Spirit. Can you bear the thought of perishing forever? Is your heart so hard that it is shielded against the terrors of the dreadful prospect of hell? As Isaiah 33, 14 says, For who among us can dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us could dwell with everlasting burnings? Today is a day to turn to Christ. And for those, just a final word for those who are the slumbering saints. As for such of you as have already begun that great work of salvation, I have only this to say in conclusion. 1 Corinthians 15.58 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Let's bow our heads and meditate upon this word that was preached to us this morning. Oh God, how easy it is to live our lives dreaming, thinking that we're actually awake and doing the things that you have called us to do. Oh God, we thank you for your word today that is spoken. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would not just leave this place like is oftentimes maybe the case and we walk out those doors and the things that we have heard are erased from our minds, almost like there's this filter at the door that just sucks it all away. Oh, but God, I pray that your word would set heavy upon our hearts today. Uh, Lord, in a way that would draw us to you, in a way, God, where we would truly see the shortness of our lives to cause us to turn to you and to cry out to you, to examine our lives and pray for your mercy and God, that we might see your great works of salvation in our hearts 
in this year to come. Whether that is being slumbering saints who need to be woken up. Or Lord, where it is unrepentant sinners who need to turn to you. Oh God, call your people to yourself to know you and to love you. Lord, give us a zeal and a fire for you and a focus upon you in a way like we've never had before that we might live for your glory. And Lord, for maybe some who don't understand what that means, that you might teach us, that you might instruct us as your children. Oh Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.